Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. It's a command to resist that judgmental, critical, in people's face spirit that so permeates many lives. And uh, he says resist it. If you're already doing it, it would be an exhortation to desist, to just stop judging one another. And he tells us we're not to judge that we would not be judged ourselves. As Pastor Sam navigates us into the seventh chapter of Matthew, our Lord tackles a subject that is definitely a stumbling block for many Christians. Among many non-believers, the church has a reputation as being judgmental. Let's listen in to Sam's message entitled, The Golden Rule, where we look at what Jesus has to say about this. Matthew chapter seven, as you get there, the title of our message, The Golden Rule. And we are going to be looking today at three, well, often misunderstood and therefore misapplied statements of Jesus. The first is here in verse 1 where he simply says, Judge not that you be not judged. And if you've ever tried to encourage someone to take a step, to change a direction, to make things right, you've no doubt had them say, Hey, don't be judging me. Who are you to judge me? And some have, well, misunderstood Jesus' prohibition against judging to, to really say, well, we shouldn't even be reconciling or we shouldn't even be about restoring. Well, in order to reconcile someone to the Lord or to someone they're alienated from in their family or in any context, there's some judgment necessary. You've got to be able to discern the problem. And then you've got to be able to invest yourself in, well, the lives of those who are struggling. And so we're going to see that judge not, well, it applies, but not in the way that many apply it. The second statement that is often misunderstood and taken out of its context, misapplied, is ask and it will be given you. Sort of like it's the master's card version of the MasterCard. Like anything you want, anytime you want, just ask and it's yours. Well, we'll see that that's not exactly the case, but these promises are here and we want to know why they're here and how they apply. And then whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Some have misunderstood and taught that as long as you're a good person and you're doing good things and you're trying your best to do unto others what you want them to do, well, then that will be acceptable to God. Well, we'll deal with all of those misconceptions, but we'll deal with them by really getting to what is Jesus teaching us and telling us and how does it apply to our situation today? Judge not that you be not judged. Now, this is a command. It's a command to resist that judgmental, critical, in people's face spirit that so permeates many lives. And uh, he says, resist it. If you're already doing it, it would be an exhortation to desist, to just stop judging one another. And he tells us we're not to judge that we would not be judged ourselves. Now, you need to know, and I already mentioned it, he's not telling us we shouldn't be discerning people in need, that, that we shouldn't be discriminating between someone who's uh, hurting and confused and somebody who's just clearly in sin. No, we've got to be able to make judgments. He's talking about the self-appointed judge in the very 
thing of appointing ourselves disqualifies us to judge. You see, we really don't know what's going on in people and all we can see is behavior and sometimes we can sense attitudes and so we need to be very careful about how we approach people and why we approach people. If we think that our ministry is pointing out other people's sin, well, I want to tell you, you will have no end to ministry opportunities. They abound. I mean, it's so easy. You want to catch me sinning? Hang out with me for a little while. I'm not saying for a week or a month. Let's just hang for a half a day. Because we all sin every day. So if you think, well, I've got this gift of discernment. I notice when people sin. Hey, listen. Everybody notices when other people sin. The real discernment needed is to recognize when we're sinning ourselves. Well, and that's what he's going to tell us here in a minute. See, Jesus was dealing in a society, in, in a context, and even in this teaching, where the religious people, the leaders of the people, well, they were self-righteous and hypocritical. He calls them that very thing. He calls them blind guides. I, I think that's an image that we can all get a handle on. He's saying if the blind lead the blind, they're going to both fall into a pit. He called them whitewashed tombs, not exactly complimentary. He's saying, outside you look pretty good, but inside you're full of dead men's bones, just as depraved and decayed as anyone else. He called them hypocrites. And these were the very people that were sitting in judgment on others, passing judgment on others. So if we judge self-righteously, in other words, if I look at you and I just figure, well, I've got to be more spiritual than you, I've got to be better than you, that very attitude disqualifies me for really being of any use to you. And that's often what happens as we grow in the Lord. We do better. We put away sin and we start to do the right thing. And, and then we start to feel like we're a little superior to those around us. Here's, here's what the Lord showed me. Better off, but never better than. I'm better off than I was and better off than many are, but I'm never better than anyone else. Why? All my righteousness, all my goodness, it's imputed to me. It's a gift from God. My best works, well, apart from him, he says, filthy rags. In him, acceptable and approved. So judging self-righteously, well, or unmercifully, hypocritically, or, well, hypercritically. Romans chapter 2 says, when we judge another, well, we judge ourselves because we are guilty of the very same things we judge them for. I don't know if you've really thought it through, but if you get around somebody and they just bug you, I've, I've often noticed that, that the things that bug me most in other people are things that they're in me. And what happens is I minimize them in my life, but I magnify them in their life. God would have us do the opposite. He'd have us magnify that sin in me so I can turn from it and, and be transformed. And he'd have me minimize it in others. So I'm not always critical and pointing the finger and, and judging. So self-appointed judges are unqualified judges, self-righteous, unmerciful, hypocritical, presumptuous judges. Romans 14, 4 says, who are you? That would apply to all of us. Who are we to judge another man's servant? Well, whose servants are we if Jesus is Lord? We're his servants and he's to do the judging. And here's why. He knows us 
perfectly. He reads us accurately. You see, there are two things we absolutely can't judge. We can't judge the motivations of one another. We can't judge the motivations of unbelievers around us. We just can't see thoughts and intents or hearts. Now, God sees all of that. In fact, I remember as a young man, long before I came to Christ, but in a little... Sunday school class in a small Baptist church in the South that, that they told me and I, I got it for the first time that God knew everything I thought. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, it's like that really freaked me out. The idea that God knew me and knew my thoughts and knew what I was going to do and, and no matter what, he, he was always aware of me. Now, after I became a Christian and especially after I studied the book of Ephesians, found out God chose me in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, I, like many, thought, well, that's a good thing because if he had waited and really saw what I was like, he probably wouldn't have chose me. But, but he always knew what I'd be like. And when you find out something about yourself... You know, when you're convicted or, you know, we're, we're in a lesson and I say something and, and, and you think, well, oh, I'll ask my wife, you know, I, I don't do that, do I? And she's like, oh, yeah, you do. You know, don't listen. If you don't want the truth, don't ask them. But, but the truth is, is that we cannot read minds and we can't really know what's going on in hearts. But God definitely can. So I'm not to judge your motivation. You're not to judge my motivation. I can't say you're doing what you're doing for this reason or that reason or right motivation or wrong motivation. We can't do that for one another. But God can and God does. Once more, God's word can test our motivations. And and that's one of the great benefits of studying on an ongoing basis through God's word. His word is able to divide between soul and spirit, between the thoughts and intents of the heart, we're told in Hebrews. I like that. It tells me that as I'm reading the word, it can discern my heart and God can reveal my heart and he can expose those motivations that are out of line with his will for me. Another thing we cannot and must not judge will be destination. We can't judge anybody's motivation because we can't see it. And we can't judge their destination. And what I mean by that is we're not put in the position to tell people, you're going to go to hell. I've actually been in conversations where somebody told me I was going to go to hell. And I'm saying, well, I'm pretty sure you're wrong about that. I'm always tempted to say, no, you're going to hell. No, you're going to hell. But I know that's not going anywhere. I get some bizarre emails, I'll tell you. I went through a weird thing with somebody who they had the wrong Pastor Sam, and it took me a while to figure that out. And they were kind of harsh and condemning, and I was thinking, man, why are they saying this stuff? You know, Lord, is this stuff true? Is that, have I been this way, or have I done that? And turns out I wasn't the guy that they thought I was, and probably worse than the guy they are dealing with, but, but at least I wasn't doing the things they thought I was. And so the bottom line is we're not in a position to say, you're going to hell. Or you're, well, but, but here's the deal. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father but by him. So if you tell me you're going to heaven, but you're going to get there through Buddha, I can tell you Jesus said Buddha can't get you there. That only Jesus can get you there. If you say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I believe in Krishna and I believe in Muhammad. Jesus said, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. And you need to know, he is either the way, the truth, and the life, or he's not the way, the truth, and the life. You can't have it both ways. you got to decide. Either he's telling the truth or he's not telling the truth. And there, sadly, tragically, are a lot of people today 
that are caught up in this thing of, well, I believe in Jesus, but they just kind of have him as one of the things they believe in. Man, he's got to be Lord. He's got to be on the throne of your life. And so I'm not going to be able to say you're going to hell. But I can tell you that if you continue in unbelief, you'll never inherit the kingdom of God. And by default, that means you're going to hell. Now, the difference is, and this is where it gets a little, well, this is where we have problems. Our ministry goal as individuals and corporately should always be restoration, reconciliation. We'll talk about that here in a moment. That's what the ministry is. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God reconciled us to him. He redeemed us for him. He restored us to a right relationship with him. That's what the ministry is all about. Getting people right with the Lord and then thereby enabling them to be well, right with one another. And until you have peace with God, until you're right with God, all your attempts to be at peace with others and be right with them, they're just not going to measure up. They're just not going to make it. So the bottom line is we can't say because we can't really tell okay, your lifestyle's, you know, aberrant, you're going to hell. What we can say is is the scripture says if you continue in an aberrant lifestyle, an immoral, an, an illegal, uh, uh, you know, there are so many things. He says so many lifestyles that won't inherit the kingdom of God. And we're authorized and even commanded to go and say, look it, no fornicator or idolater or, or murderer or drunkard or, I mean, he gives us these lists throughout Scripture. He says, if that's your lifestyle, you'll never inherit the kingdom of God. And you say, wait a minute, though. I'm a Christian. I, I mean, I, I went forward at Billy Graham. I don't know if you caught him in San Diego. It was awesome the last couple nights. He's just so cool watching. 84, I guess he said he was 85, and he should know. I thought he was 84. But, but 85 years old and still preaching the, the gospel. And the whole thing is, is, is when we look at people or we talk to people, a backslidden Christian doesn't look any different than an unbeliever. The lifestyle's the same. They're doing things the Bible forbids. They're doing things that the Bible condemns. And so what we can say is, look, if you continue in your lifestyle, you're, you're proving by your lifestyle, then you're not a Christian. And they're like, oh, you're judging me. No, I'm not trying to restore you. You're, you're pointing the finger. No, I'm, I'm trying to reconcile you. And, and so what we're not to do is appoint ourselves and self-righteously and unmercifully and hypocritically and presumptuously judge people's motivations or their destinations. What we are to judge is people's doctrine and their lifestyle. When people come and they say they're a Christian, they by definition, must at least ascribe to the, the fundamental things Jesus taught about what it means to be a Christian. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. Now, I wish that old things just all passed away all at once. And anybody married to somebody here, or, you know, anybody still hanging in the family, you wish that too. It would be wonderful if we just came to Jesus and we were instantaneously just like Jesus. But you know, growth and grace is a day-by-day -day proposition. It's dealing with things as God brings them up. It's making decisions. It's being transformed into people each day that become more and more like Jesus, that think like him, that see people like he would and does, that respond as he would and wants us to. And so we do have to judge doctrine, and here's why. 
lifestyle and doctrine. Doctrine because doctrine is the only thing that separates the Christian church from the cults, from the Christian church from, from the isms. It's doctrine that says Jesus is the only way. And when people say, well, I think Jesus is a way, well, then that's false doctrine. And people that think there are many roads that lead to heaven, well, they're deceived. So when somebody comes up with that kind of idea, you don't just lovingly say, well, I, I, wanna, I don't want to be judgmental. No, the loving thing is to act, is to respond. But you can't do it in a self-righteous, condemning you know, way. So, so what he's getting at is what we're not to do and then what we're to do in its place. Now, he gives us a twofold warning. There is, uh, we continue into verse 2 and 3. He says, with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. All he's doing is saying, whatever standard I choose to hold up to others, well, he'll hold that up to me. Well, you're not very merciful, are you? Then God will say, well, let's see how merciful you are. Well, you're a little bit, you know, oh, let's see how. And what he does, and you saw this as we looked at the Lord's Prayer. He he said that when we pray, we're to pray, forgive us our trespasses or our sins or our debts as we forgive others. Because if we won't forgive them, neither will he forgive us. Why? Because he's saying what we give out now, we'll, we'll continue to get. We've been forgiven by grace, through faith. We've been adopted. We've, we've been given precious promises. But now he wants us to be distributors of his grace, distributors of his mercy, distributors of his love. And when we say, well, enough for me, but not for them, well, then that stops the flow of that wonderful work. So whatever judgment we're using, Whatever measure we're using, he says it will be measured back to us. Now, there's an irony here because we often do condemn others for things that we are definitely guilty of. And and we're often bugged to no end by things that, that we do ourselves. They just look worse when someone else does it. That's just the way it is. Well, he goes on then to tell us that we are going to have opportunity to minister at least, to be involved in reconciliation. And he asked the question, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck out of your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Now, what he's saying again is that it's easy for us to recognize sin in others. And he calls the sin in others a speck. He calls our attitude in trying to deal with them a major plank. And and it's hyperbole. The picture he's trying to give us is you see somebody with a splinter and and you're like, oh, man, let me help you with that splinter. And he says, you got a big two by four hanging out of your eye. And and they're like, whoa, no thanks. And, And of course... If you went in to the doctor and, and he came out and he just had this big honking beam, you'd be, I don't think this is going to work. And, and he's saying, I'm certain in this context that that judgmental, self-righteous, I'm going to teach him a lesson or tell him how it is, spirit, it's like a giant beam. It obscures our vision. Now, again, he's not saying that we can't minister or shouldn't or shouldn't be telling people when they're blowing it or out of God's will or in sin or in need of forgiveness or reconciliation. 
Because he says, how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and there's a plank in your own hypocrite. By the way, that's a word you never want to hear the Lord call you. It means you're acting. You're putting on a front. You're pretending to be something you're not. Why? If you're representing him, then you've got to be trying to reconcile people. If you're just pointing out sin, well, Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to save. People already know they're sinners. They need to hear the good news. They need to know there's a solution, that there's forgiveness, that there's the hope of transformation, change. So he says, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Do you see it? That's why this statement is so misunderstood. He isn't saying we shouldn't be ministering to one another. We shouldn't be about reconciling people to him. And sometimes that requires that we acknowledge what we see them doing or what we sense in them. But he's saying it's the spirit in which it's happening and the motivation for which we go forth that, that, that's going to make all the difference in all of this. If I'm truly brokenhearted over people's sin, they're going to sense that. But if I'm just self-righteous and judgmental, well, they're going to sense that. Especially people who are struggling. They're very sensitive to these things. So, so he says, first remove the plank. And then you'll be able to see clearly. See, he's not saying we're not going to be able to remove the speck. He's saying just make sure you're dealing with anything and everything that would hinder, anything that would obscure your vision, anything that would make it difficult for them to receive from you. And then you'll be able to get the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, we're told in, well, there are numerous passages, and so just a, a couple uh, that apply directly. In Galatians 6.1, he says, If you see a man overtaken in a trespass, let you who are spiritual restore them in a spirit of meekness and humility, considering yourself lest you be tempted. Now, I know a lot of people hearing that or reading that if you see someone overtaken in a trespass, well, that's easy to see. You see it all day long. You see it everywhere you go. People who are in sin, people who are messing up. And, and, and so, you know, doing things out of the will of God or not doing the things that you know are the will of God. And so he says, let you who are spiritual. And a lot of people go, whew, good, I'm off the hook. I'm not spiritual. But that's not his intention. He's talking about making sure you are in the spirit. You are led of the spirit. You are filled with the spirit. Make sure that you're not operating in the flesh. It's really the same thing he's saying when he says, deal with the bean. Don't be in the flesh. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be judgmental. Don't be condemning. But he's saying if you see someone overtaken in a trespass, and that's what sin does. It overtakes people. We tend to think of sin as sort of passive and, you know, well, there's opportunity to sin. Well, I didn't want to do that. No, sin's aggressive. All you got to do is read the first chapters of Genesis to really come to that conclusion. He says, hey, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. Sin pursues us. So it's not passive. It's active and aggressive, and and though it's he's personifying it there, you got to see it as an active force. And uh, then the bad part is we're just tempted to do it. Somebody asked me once, why do you think I struggle with sin so much? And I just said, well, can I be honest? Yeah. So I think you like it. Like what? I, you like the sin. And, and they were like blown away. No way. I don't like the sin. Well, 
I know before I was a Christian, I loved to sin. I never called it sin. I called it a whole bunch of other things, partying and hanging out with my buddies and this and that. But God calls it sin. He calls drunkenness sin. He calls lying sin. He, he calls fornication sin. He calls so many things that other people just say, hey, that's just, hey, that's Chico. That's life. You know, God says it's sin. And, and so if that's where you're at, if that's what you're going through, you need to know God is saying that separates you from him. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul talks about the body of Christ being built up in unity and maturity. And one of the keys to achieving this, Paul says, is speaking the truth in love. Now, while it can be easy to speak the truth, the truth, when spoken without love and grace, will not always unify us or bring about the maturity we desire to see in others or ourselves. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.